Welcome back to another episode of We Need More. This is the podcast where we interview leaders, disruptors, and trailblazers on how they are changing the narrative in our communities. In this week's episode, we interview Samantha Josephat, architect and founder of Studio 397. Studio 397, a multidisciplinary studio providing clients with design projects from conception to reality. Let's get into the episode. something from the ground up anywhere in the world where would you go tanzania why tanzania uh i just i don't know like being that i went to tanzania i just love this i loved it like i love the people i love the culture i love the grounds like the natural environment i was able to like fly over to zanzibar for a little bit and so nice. it was a different type of architecture and so mm-hmm. being able to be connected to like more so african architecture but at the same time have these different like islamic details within the architecture was interesting so it's like you know looking at like how religion shapes architecture but i don't know i just love that place and why not that's interesting because why not explore somewhere that you know is good yeah so zanzibar came on my radar a couple of years ago because that's a spot that's like under the radar Mm -hmm. for a lot of black people to go travel Mm -hmm. but i'm starting to notice a lot of people are going there now oh Uh, like my boy rondell holder he was he actually went there a couple of months ago he was posting everything about it ah, i love and it it's so beautiful yeah zanzibar so is like beautiful. the spice island because they got a chance they were trading a lot with the people it is across that side of the world for our listeners please introduce yourself hello everyone i'm samantha josephat i am an architect based out of brooklyn new york i am the founding principal of studio 397 studio 397 came from me learning that i became the 397th licensed black female in the u.s in the u.s in the u.s i was taking my exams and i would say oh if i'm gonna open up my own practice i'm gonna name it this that and the other and then when i learned that number i was like I'm going to mark this time in history wow. real quick. And so I decided to name my practice Studio 397. I'm still tripping off of 397. Yeah, 397 is crazy because I know when I graduated from high school, there yeah. was about 300 and something students in my graduating class. So to know that in 2017, I became the 397th licensed black female in the U.S., I was like, yo, like yeah. this is a high school graduating class. Mm-hmm. and. So, you know, I dived a little deeper and to find out that there was over 100,000 licensed architects in the U.S., I found out we were 0.3% of all the architects and that African-Americans made up 2% of Mm -hmm. all the licensed architects in the States. That's incredibly low. Why do you think it's so low? Is this just more so the access? Access and exposure. For example, I was never exposed to architecture. I got into architecture because I moved from New York to Georgia Mm -hmm. for middle school and high school. And when my mom was ready to look for a house, I went house hunting with her. Tell me about that. Yeah. And out of all my siblings, I was the only one that would go with my mom house hunting. But when I would go, I was never impressed. I was like, why would you do this? Why would you do that? It just never made sense to me. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, I said to myself, oh, I'm going to design buildings when I get when I, you know, get older, not really knowing that that was architecture, not knowing what that meant. 
But I went to a high school teacher and I was like, yeah. I don't want to be a chiropractor anymore. I want to be an architect. <laughs> and she was like, well, you know, that's a white male dominated field. And to me, I'm like, and what do you like? What does that mean? Like to almost me? anything like, else. Yeah. I'm yeah. like, look, I grew up proving people wrong. So yeah. like, you know, I eat that for breakfast. So. <laughs> <laughs> so, Tell um, them that. Exactly. And so like, you know, she telling me that it didn't really phase me. Mm-hmm. But when I did eventually get into architecture school, which was a process of its own, but like I realized, yeah, it is a white male dominated mm-hmm. field. But all I knew to do was to work hard. Like I never knew how to like give up. Mm-hmm. And so for me, although it was really hard, it was just like this is life. Like this is what it is. what's not hard, you know, coming from a immigrant family, like you got to work, you got to work for what you want. And so I just was like, all right, I'm going to work for what I want. Most people coming from my community didn't have that exposure. I never mm-hmm. knew architecture was an actual thing. Yeah. I never knew like what an architect was like till this day, I'm still teaching my grandmother how to pronounce architecture. <laughs> um, and you know, even when I'm talking to people now in my community, you know, just the way they word it, I could tell they don't, they're not even exposed because they're like, oh, she's an architecture. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, no, I'm an architect mm-hmm. that is in architecture. And so not even just exposing the youth, but exposing, you know, adults to the field so that they can then be inspired to expose their children to yeah. it is really important. And so all th- I could stand, you know, sit behind my computer and just yeah. talk to my clients, but it's important for me to do podcasts like this, be in articles that kind of feature what I do so that that message is not just being spread through me, but through the community in which I'm talking with. Yeah, even with one thing that you just mentioned, like folks don't know how to pronounce it. People just don't know what they Ex- don't exactly. know. And exactly. And when you know better, you do better. Yeah. And if you're able to know that, hey, there's a whole other world out there if you can expose your children to. There's you a take whole other world it. that you live in that you're not even tapped into because when you learn architecture you know it's very complicated and there's a lot of like technical things to it but if you just break it down to the basics we are all involved in architecture we all you know inhabit certain spaces in Mm -hmm. our daily routines like there's certain things you're just not aware of but they're there like the moment you step on a stair that doesn't have a particular height to it Mm -hmm. or width to the tread you're gonna feel it naturally you're gonna say like these steps feel steep Hmm. that's because there's a particular you know measurement that architects use to have steps at a particular height and depth so that it's easy for someone to walk up Mm -hmm. but the moment like for example my stairs they're pretty steep and you feel them by the time you come up (laughs) and it's because the rise of them it's way higher and so it feels like you're climbing up a mountain or whatever and so it's like we're all involved in architecture we're Hmm. just not conscious of it and Mm so when you can, you know, talk to somebody and say, like, no, architecture is something you could tap into. Like, there's a way you open a door that you don't even realize. Like, you know, there's a particular distance you have to have from the doorknob to the wall so that mm-hmm. there's enough clearance that someone in a wheelchair can get through, you mm-hmm. know, a particular space. But there's so many things that we don't realize. But if you pay attention to it, it's like, I'm aware of architecture. Like, our door heights in our homes tend yeah. to be, you know, the same height. Mm-hmm. They're usually at six foot eight. Sometimes if you're in a tall loft space, they can be a bit taller and yeah. exaggerated. But for the most part, a lot of the spaces we um, operate in, there are particular rhythms that we grow up with from mm-hmm. day one that, you know, the moment that dimension changes, you feel it, whether you've studied architecture for years or not. You established Studio 397. Yep. That's your baby. That is my first love. Not not my first love. My first first child. (laughs) Your first child. This is your business. Yes. How did you go about building it? 
What did you do? Consulting and bringing the money that way and then getting work from other architects. Mm -hmm. That I didn't see was going to happen because I, didn't, I wasn't telling anybody I was doing this. But when a few people learned that I was out on my own, there were projects coming to their office that were just too small for the overhead that they had to take into consideration. And so those projects came my way. And from there, I said, look, this is my treasure that I have to build upon. And so I took those clients and I built relationships with them where, you know, I provided them with good work. And from there, they're sharing my name with their network. It's been growing like that organically. And, you know, the guy friends I would connect with, they had had their practice for a couple of years. And so they were still connected with that. A lot of times the work came through them or I would reach out to them and ask questions like, how do you deal with this? How do you deal with that? It's just slowly grown through there. And but they would tell me, like, don't worry, Samantha, it's going to get better. Like, it's going to slowly pick up its pace. And I'm now seeing that pace to the mm -hmm. point where it's like, you know, I know marketing is important. But, you know, this year I was extremely busy and I didn't have time to really really market but for some reason the projects kept on landing yeah. and so I'm seeing that pace pick up without me actually like boots on the ground trying to like you know pull people into the office so, so tell me some of the some of the projects you're working on now are most so, of them in New York City or are them yeah, some outside well, of New York actually not so yeah so the one that's outside of New York right now are two in Tennessee and so one is a bar renovation in Tennessee mm. they're moving into a new space and then I'm actually working with my little sister who's opening up a salon suites in Nashville and so oh. I'm working with her to get that off of the ground Keep and so family. exactly even though I tell her I still got fees because you know <laughs> you look my my, my stamp on drawings that's liability that's insurance <laughs> I gotta pay for like you know that doesn't cut you don't get the family discount for that but for other things she does yeah when it comes to black owned businesses a lot of people always ask for that discount like listen yeah. if you really want to support somebody you put the money into it and you support that you person. know it may take me four minutes to do, create a box for you but it took me what 15 years to figure out what goes into that box what that box means and stamp in that box you know with my signature and like i will never let someone no one no one not even myself take my license away from mm -hmm. me and so you got to pay for that yeah you, you earned know it. exactly i have two projects in uh tennessee we finished a condo renovation in hudson yards earlier this year also um one of my consulting gigs was at jfk airport where we did a restaurant and renovation that's Which up one? and running it's called mikasa so mikasa. if you go to terminal one in jfk and see mikasa that's me. That's you. Yes. All right. And so, again, that was from a network relationship that I had created when I was first looking for a job in 2012. And it was just so crazy how, like, all my connections from 2012 was working for me in 2017 and 18. Yeah. So then I'm also working on a brownstone renovation in Clinton Hill. I love my clients. They're amazing. Mm -hmm. And it's great when your clients could be an inspiration to your personal life. And they're definitely an inspiration to me. Um, and I'm also working on a condo renovation in downtown Brooklyn. I want to work on, you know, more elevated projects that allow me to, you know, test and explore my creative side with certain materials and approaches to architecture that a typical project that um, doesn't have the budget wouldn't allow mm -hmm. you to do. But at the same time, you know, I also left corporate America because I wanted to be that community architect because 
when I was in corporate America, my projects were so large that when someone that I knew in my neighborhood asked me a question, I didn't know how to answer it because I just didn't do that kind of work. And so I wanted to be that architect that people could come to and say, hey, I have this issue. How do I go about this? Mm -hmm. Maybe even if they're not going to hire me or they don't actually need an architect, mm -hmm. I can point to a contractor or a subcontractor that they need to work with to um, resolve that issue. And you know, it didn't make sense for me to just be an architect serving a community that wasn't mine. Yeah, yeah. And so it's important for me to work where I can explore my creative side on both on many different income levels. But it's also really, really important for me to be that community resource that's yeah. needed. You went to a PWI. Indeed, I did. A very PWI. PPWI. Like. You did not go to HBCU. Not at all. Why not? What happened? So for me, when I was in high school, I said, well, the world isn't an HBCU, so why go to HBCU? Uh, I'm going to be straight honest to you, honest with you. There's, and so, there's, there's people that do think that way. Yeah. And so that was my initial thought. And a lot of the black people in my school were going to HBCUs. And like I told you earlier, I'm not a girl of norms. And so I was like, well, if all the other black people's going to HBCUs, I'm going to do something completely different because that's just what I do. And so I went to the PWI and man, was that a culture shock. I felt like I was, I moved to another country. Like yeah. living in upstate New York, I was, I was exposed to many different cultures, but I was only exposed to them in a particular setting. And that was going to school but when I, I could come home back to my culture and so when I was in school I felt at one point I felt like I'd never had my culture I was just always exposed to a different culture and mm -hmm. to me that kind of felt like isolation mm -hmm. and so a lot of these PWIs you end up having these organizations like the Caribbean Student Association or the African Student Association just as a, a call for help like let me touch back to something that feels like community or mm -hmm. home to me and so I had that but then I I started the architecture program a year later and for five years straight I saw the same classmates in every class for a five years straight yeah. but not just in class in studio because class was studio and so our studio class was from 2 p.m to 4 p no it was from 1 p.m to 5 p.m Really? No, it was 1 p.m. to 6 p.m. It was a really a long class. Five-hour class. But you don't just leave class after. Yeah. You have to then stay to create your projects. Yeah. And so, like, we saw each other nonstop for five years straight. And as much of a family that we became because we grew close to each other mm -hmm. just out of the sake of we were always around each other, there were so many differences. Yeah, and so, yeah. like... I wasn't just in architecture school. I was also in a school where I had to navigate living in everyone else's world because no one really understood my world. Like, And it wasn't until then I was like, God damn, I should have yeah. went to HBCU. <laughs> yeah. Like, Sometimes I envy people that go to HBCUs for the sake of them not having to deal with that portion of school where it's like I have to not only navigate learning, but I have to navigate a totally different culture. You just culture. have to be on all, all the time. Just you navigating. Have, your just guards got to always be up. Something as simple just walking down the hallway. You are exuding a lot of energy just to be able to fit in. Yeah. And that does take a lot that, out of you. Yeah, and it takes a toll on your body. It takes yeah. a toll on your psyche. And then sometimes it doesn't work in your favor. For me, I think I became oversensitive, you know. And 
to my own right. Like there were points where I needed to be oversensitive, but then there yeah. was times where I was just like, I had so much pressure on me or my guards were always up. Like mm -hmm. everything started to feel like an attack or everything always felt like sarcasm. Yeah. Um, for example, my roommate, who's my best friend now, she was like, oh, I tried to call you. I was like, oh, my phone is off. And she was like, oh, it's off. You need to call Verizon and tell them to turn it back on. And I'm like, she doesn't know what my phone is off means. Like she, Something as simple as that. Something as simple as that. And so if you know that I'm dealing with all those simple things, like just imagine like for five years straight, mm -hmm. all the different conversations I, were, I was having. For example, one classmate was like, oh, you didn't bring your car up this semester. I was like, oh, I don't have one. They were like, oh, you left it at home. I was like, I don't have a car. What part of English don't you understand? Like, I yeah. was very straight and clear with you. I didn't say anything else. And so, like, you know, having to navigate those words. Yeah. And then, like, one of my close friends still, like, even after we graduated, mm -hmm. you know, to have her complaining to me about her waterfront property and she doesn't like the the window that where it's facing and I'm like is she aware I'm living in a basement right now with a basement window like and so like having to navigate those conversations of being a good friend but at the same time them not really understanding the world you live in was yeah. really really hard yeah yeah and being being able just that lack of understanding I remember I did have a, a coworker years ago that was moving she was moving from virginia to north carolina and i mm -hmm. remember i was teaching at this time and she came into my classroom after school and she was like david can you believe that my dad said he's not driving down from pennsylvania to help me pack up my things and to help me move down <laughs> to north carolina and i sat down and I listened to her for about a good 20 minutes go on and on and on but it just shows you that the bubble yeah. or the space that she lives in is totally different yeah. than what we have to navigate through every single day. Exactly. I remember I just sat there and I just looked at her and said, yeah, that must be nice. You know what happened when I moved down from New Jersey to VA? <laughs> it was me and my brother and that was it. I literally had, my dad dropped me off at Penn State and was like, all right, I'm leaving. I was like, Dan, can you take me to Walmart? I need lotion and toothpaste. Come on. Like, can you help me? Treatment. Yeah, exactly. Um, it, it's interesting. It's and really... not the fact that the, parents don't love us or anything like that it's just that i've done my this job is our world. <laughs> like, yeah this is our world this is what we this and this is how we maneuver around it and we and it's and it's it's tough because whenever you are in those certain situations or space or kind of like how you described it this is what the world looks like mm -hmm. it is very hard but it's still essential yeah. to have that safe space yeah and i find myself now creating the world i want to be in and you know there's ups and downs for that for example people say with social media people only live in their bubble and i'm like what's wrong with me living in my bubble yeah you know there's nothing wrong with that at all exactly my my bubble is open in the sense of like it's transparent i can see other worlds and i could dive into other worlds when i want to but i decided to go back on so i had took a huge break from social media from 2012 to 2017 like you i was five you took a legit break yeah i was i, I was focused and it was get a job develop yourself professionally mm -hmm. and then you could you know touch back with civilization which i wouldn't always recommend to people because as an architect it's important to explore and be connected with other worlds yeah. because you know that's how you're a better creative but um i got back on social media but i strategically got back on social media and said you know i'm gonna connect with a world that inspires me and so I'm connected by a world that inspires me and nothing but that, you know, whether that's through certain um, architectural manufacturing companies that, you know, I could get design inspiration from, whether it's, you know, other women or men in business, whether that is um, black creatives. Um, there are two black 
female architects right now in the field that I had been looking up to from day one. One was a friend and I had no idea how much of an inspiration she'd be to me. But um, the first architect I'm going to talk about is Dina Griffin, a black architect based out of Chicago. That's actually the architect of record for the new Obama library that's being designed. Mm. And so I met her when I first graduated and just learning her journey through architecture and how she also left the field and then came back around. It was inspiring to know like you're going to have these non-linear journeys in your career path, but you know, being confident in all the choices you make, um, it would lead to a result where you could bring all those experiences back together, which then leads me to the other architect that inspires me, which is Kim Dowdell, who is our national um, president for the National Organization of uh, Minority Architects. And she's an architect that went to Cornell, worked in New York City, then went back to Harvard, you know, to get her graduate degree. But she also took a nonlinear path to her career in architecture. And now she's at a really large firm in Chicago. But again, being inspired by her journey of, you know, pulling experiences from other facets outside of architecture to be the best architect that she can be. And, mm. you know, like, you know, the other day when she was here for the conference, we were sitting in the car and she was telling me something about something she learned at Harvard about leadership. And I was like, yo, like, you out here just dropping gems on me. And to have her as a friend to just yeah. like be able to share that information with me, like, is everything to me. And so, like, again, although she's a friend, like, having a friend that could be an inspiration and being that resource that you need is absolutely amazing. And not saying that you have to get something out of every friendship that you have, but I really value our friendship because I know, like, if I go to her with a complicated answer, she's going to give me something, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. and something that of value, too. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, two dope architects. Why is it essential not to be a hidden figure? Because then you're not allowing the people after you to progress at the rate they should be progressing. Hmm. Because now they're stuck in the same situation you're stuck at. Mm -hmm. While, whereas if you're not a Higgin figure, you can act as motivation and inspiration for the people behind you. But not even the people behind you, but the people in front of you, which Mm -hmm. I realized I was when I decided to take that leap of faith and go out on my own. I realized, you know... I'm the only black person in this firm doing like when it comes to the technical side, for example, and a lot of architecture firms, you'll have minorities working in the office, but they're either like the receptionist or they handle mail. They're usually the the office Mm -hmm. staff. But when it comes to like the actual architects or interior designers, there barely are any, or Mm -hmm. if there's maybe one, you're lucky if you have three in a firm at the same time. Hmm. And so at the time, I was the only black technical person that was doing both architecture and interior design. And so when I realized I was doing the job of two people, but being paid less than my counterparts that were doing the job of one person, I realized, oh, I'm just being used. And what I didn't want to be was a broken token or a struggling token. Like, that ha- didn't I make sense. I hate the word token. Yeah. Like, I hate that word token. It didn't make sense. Like, you know, this should be an even trade. Like, if I'm providing you with a skill set, you should be pa- providing me with an equal compensation. 
And so at that point, I was like ready to leave because I had been fighting with them. Well, not fighting, but like, you know, going in meetings with them for about six months, Mm -hmm. asking for things that my, you know, equal counterparts were getting, you know, after they asked one time. Mm -hmm. And so when I realized they were going to give me like a title that didn't exist, I was like, okay, y'all are really bullshitting me and I don't got time for that. You know, like now I have my license. Now I got my, you know, my, my tool to freedom as, as far as like going off on my own or using it to get another job at Mm -hmm. a higher rate. And so I thought about looking, but then I was like, I've seen this too many times. Like if you throw incentives in front of me, I'm going to be ungrateful because I'm like, you're trying to distract me Mm -hmm. from what really matters is what are you compensating me for? Mm -hmm. Like what bills can I pay when I give you this work, Mm -hmm. you know? And so um, a lot of times they'll say like, oh, we do this for our employees. We do that. And they throw out all these, you know, bells and whistles. But for me, the more bells and whistles you threw out, the more of a lie it seemed to me. And yeah, so yeah. I couldn't find the energy to press, you know, apply on the internet. And so I always looked at people that had their own firms and I would talk to them and I say, like, you know, how did you start off your firm? They were like, I just started it and just, you know, I had to get working because I ran out of my savings. And I'm yeah. like, but what if you don't got savings? Like, then what do you do? That's a real question. Yeah. And so I... um. I I literally felt stuck. Like I felt like I can't move in this firm. And like I was like, if I don't leave, mm-hmm. I'm gonna create a bad reputation for myself because you know my attitude is gonna start changing. Mm-hmm. So I knew like I had to get out that situation because I was changing mentally and physically. Like I just felt myself turning into somebody that I didn't want to be. And so I said, I don't know what I'm gonna do, but I I just need to remove myself. And so what I ended up doing was yeah. Tell us about that day. Yes. So um, (laughs) actually, I had two consulting gigs set up before I actually left. Like I knew I was going to be given in my two weeks. And so I reached out to my network and I said, you know, if you you need help with construction documents, I can help you for this rate. And so for the first year, I was just basically consulting with other architects that I knew. And so that was a way for me to like leave corporate America, get off on my own and establish myself as far as like setting up my business license with New York State, getting everything approved as far as paperwork while still being able to pay the bills. And then something unexpected happened. When I left corporate America, I was actually kind of done with architecture. Me starting my firm was like my last attempt at architecture because I was just like... You was going to leave the field. Yeah, I was going to leave the field because to me it didn't make sense like how much work I had been putting in, looking at the leadership above me and seeing them miserable and seeing what their pay rate was compared to the work they were putting in. I was like, this is not adding up. Yeah, you didn't want your life to be that Exactly. Way. And the fact that I couldn't look to people that I was inspired by or wanted to, like, you know, a lot of people in the firms that I worked at, when I looked at them in leadership, I'm like, I don't want your life. You mm-hmm. know, this doesn't interest me. There's no reason for me to continue working down this path yeah. if I'm not interested in the result. And so I said, I got to try something completely different for a different result. And that was starting my firm. And had that not worked out, I would have just been okay with like, you know what? I'm just going to have to explore something. But it's working out. No regrets at all. I want to know about that moment. Tell about the moment you said I'm out. And I'm taking things into my own hands. What was that like? What were you feeling? It was quiet. It was quiet because everybody that I knew before was in this system of corporate America. And they were just like, I don't. 
I have to have security. I don't know what to tell you. Like, I didn't have anybody to give me advice. And I was mm-hmm. just like, security to me is being able to have control. And I didn't have control. Mm-hmm. And so it was quiet in the sense of, I was like, I don't know what I'm doing, but let's just keep doing something. Let's just keep on doing it. Yeah, I just kept yeah. on working at it. Um, and so as I was like leaving the firm, one of the partners that I had a huge issue with, I just, you know, opened my arms and gave her a hug and was like, I'm leaving now. And she looked at me like, bitch, I don't want to hug you right now. But <laughs> I'm like, look, at the end of the day, this your fault. I've been fighting with you for six months about, yeah, you know, yeah, treating yeah. me well. You mad right now, not yeah. me. And so, you know, um, <laughs> I even talked to one mentor and I I said, hey, I just gave him my two weeks. And she was like, what? You didn't talk to me. I said, because I didn't need your opinion. And she was like, what? And I was like, you got to remember, like, you're my mentor. I seek advice from you when I need advice. I didn't need advice at that point. I knew I needed to leave. And so um, I was like, I'm not asking for your opinion. I'm just telling you so that you know my whereabouts. Um, But again, like. My last day was a Friday. By that Monday, I already had work to do. You were good. Yeah. And I wouldn't say I was good, but I had work to do. (laughs) Yeah. I had something to keep me busy and, you know, to, you know, keep going. And so that just slowly growed. And like I was saying, like, initially, I didn't even want to tell people that I went out on my own. I was telling folks, like, oh, I got another job somewhere. And I Mm -hmm. just would tell them, you know, for the sake of privacy, I'd rather not tell you what firm I'm going to. You're getting the generic. Exactly. (laughs) When in reality, I was starting my own practice. Um, Smart. But... You know, like I was saying, prior to me leaving, I was, you know, having lunch with a couple professionals trying to seek advice, and I wasn't getting the answers I wanted. And it wasn't until I went out on my own and started meeting other entrepreneurs in the field and outside of the field, I learned, oh, this is my answer. Mm-hmm. And so, like, till since, you know, July 10th of 2017, I've been getting the answers that I wanted here as far as, like, how do you go through, how do you approach entrepreneurship as an architect? How do you approach entrepreneurship as a creative? Mm-hmm. And it's been a learning process ever since. I love it. Um, it connects me with the world that I want to be connected with. We're not saying that, you know, people in corporate America aren't go-getters and seekers, but, you know, people that know how to move blindly, mm-hmm. you know, like, you know, figuring things out without it laid out, you know, in front of you. Um, and not let fear just stop them in a the way. Yeah, you know, not let fear. It's it more of like, you know, oh, you're stuck, turn left, turn yeah. right. You know, I turned right and this is what happened. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I know somebody who turned left and that was what happened. And so it's like learning from the experience of other entrepreneurs has been more rewarding than, you know, sitting in a corporate field, mm-hmm. seeing a ladder that doesn't move, mm-hmm. you know, and so... I'm up on the escalator right now. So, so you went off. You 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 went off and you graduated from college. You got your degree in student debt with a dream. Oh, yes. You get your first job. Tell us about it. So graduated in two thousand in May of two thousand and twelve. I got my first architecture job December twenty sixth of twenty twelve. The and day after so Christmas. I flew back from Georgia to New York. <laughs> on Christmas Day with my Christmas dinner. To me, I, j- I remember sitting with my Christmas dinner in the airport and I said, this career better do something for me because yeah. I'm literally like leaving my family on Christmas Day to go start working in architecture. And so 
I kid you not, it wasn't until 2017 I was like, okay, that that trip was worth it to come back. Ah, really, yeah. really. Because um, when I graduated in May, I came to live with family in Queens, and mm-hmm. I had been consulting doing something outside of architecture while I was trying to look for a job. Mm-hmm. Um, I was, you know, joining all these different architecture organizations, trying to meet people and build my network. What I didn't know was that network I was building was going to help me once I started my firm seven years later. But I didn't know that at the time because I was trying to build a network to get a job. You were planting the seeds for the relationships. Yes, I was. And so, you know, I was living with family and I remember even family saying, Samantha, why do you have to go out so much? Just, you know, stay at home. And I'm like, I need to get a job in this field. Mm -hmm. One, I got student loans to pay for. Like, I'm not about to walk away from all of this. I already put, you know, too much literally blood, sweat, and tears into Mm -hmm. this. And so um, I was determined. And I got my first job at a black architecture and engineering firm. And they actually met me in the summer. And they really liked my business card because it was a clear business card with purple writing on it that had my information that I made in school. It was acrylic that I made and I etched it. And mm-hmm. on the laser cutter at school and the, the letters were purple and so they were so that creative design process that yeah. I established in school was what got me my first job because it kind of was my portfolio I didn't have a portfolio before that other than my schoolwork, mm-hmm. but my business card served as my portfolio like look how creative I can be yeah and so I got my first job and you know sometimes natural disasters can work in your favor <laughs> that first project was you know working on Rockaway Beach because uh, Hurricane Sandy had just came through I think it was October and um, you know destroyed the beaches and so they wanted the beaches up and running by Memorial Day and so we had to do a fast track project which was you have to design and build this project in a small amount of time and so we helped with restoring a lot of the comfort stations on Rockaway Beach and so that was my first you know real world experience but it was also my first real world experience at a really fast pace so Mm -hmm. by the time I got onto my second project. I was like, all right, we got to do this. We got to do this. And they were like, yo, slow down, Samantha. Like, it doesn't work like that. Like, architecture is an actual slower process. You just happen to be on a really fast-tracked project when we first started. Um, And so I worked from 2012 in corporate America till 2017. And what made that switch for me was I was ready to leave my job because I realized I wasn't being valued um, to the people that had the same qualifications as me and Let's the same responsibilities. That. Let's talk about that. That's um, something we hear a lot. Yeah, and I was thankful for having those friends that, you know, their backgrounds were a little different from mine, but they were very open with me. And them being open with me, I realized I my value wasn't appreciated as much as theirs were. Hmm. Um, and so, you know, we would go to lunch. We, You know, as coworkers, you express your frustrations. Yeah. But, um, you know, when they I asked them, you know, what they're making, they were like, don't ask for less than this amount. And I was like you know what, I'm going to say it on here because I think it's necessary. So one of my white counterparts was like, don't ask for less than 70. And I'm like, yo, I'm fighting for like 65 right now. Architect, what are some common misconceptions? One, we're not an interior designer, but we can be. Mm -hmm. We're definitely not decorators. But if we like decorating, by all means, go ahead and decorate. But we design buildings, whether it's the core and shell, which means like the building envelope and its main circulation systems. But we also design interior spaces um, Mm -hmm. when it comes to like 
really understanding the architecture, like what happens behind the walls, how the walls join together with different materials, how they join together with, you know, different openings. But architects are also champions of sustainability. And so we could go into like sustainability consulting where we work on particular projects to make sure all their sustainable aspects or approaches are being met to a particular level or quality. Architects could also go into just, you know, smaller scopes of work like myself, where it's like you're doing single family housing or residential, or we also do multifamily housing and we do feasibility studies for potential clients where it's like, you know, I have this property and I want to build this type of program on it. Um, what exactly can I do? How high can I build? You know, how many units can I get in there? Because me providing them with that feasibility study, they can now go to potential investors and say, hey, I have this property where I could build 25 units on it and make this amount of money. It's going to cost this amount of um, money to build and design it based on my architect's fee and the fees my architects got from all the other engineers that will be involved in building this. And so we can be that person that from the front part of the project we're in the development stages to the construction administration phase where we're you know going on site to make sure like Put your hard hat on exactly so for example one of my projects i do requisition reports where i'm not designing the space i'm just going on site to represent the bank to say yes the contractor has done 85 percent of the work so you can release 85 percent of those funds to them and so there's so many different ways that you can use your architecture degree you know sometimes people leave the traditional architecture for, um, realm and they go into graphic design or they go into product design or they go into um, more like, you know, art curation or production design and stuff like that. And so it's amazing what all you could do with your architecture. If somebody is interested in becoming an architect or just wants to go and just see the beauty, where would you recommend for them to go anywhere around the world? Um... I actually went to Berlin and I fell in love with all the different architecture that really? happened. And again, it's like out of a tragedy in the sense of like, because, you know, they had that great fire, a lot of their architecture became very modern. Um, and so like when I went to Berlin, I was really surprised with all the work that was happening there. And that at that time, I wasn't impressed with new york in the sense of like i knew new york and new yeah. york to me was just old you know masonry buildings and a <laughs> yeah. few skyscrapers like and and that was just because i was privileged of growing up in new york and you know being able to see that often but i remember like after i graduated i was like yo new york needs to build new buildings and stuff like that and now i'm like yo new york is building so many uh, <laughs> uh new buildings and so new york is a place that i would tell people to explore too because you have the beauty of the modern architecture and really creative um, designs happening here in the city now. But then you have the beauty of, you know, old establishments, whether it's, you know, establishments here in Brooklyn or in the city. But then you have these beautiful designs like the Weeksville Center. Have you been there? I have not. It's Tell literally it. down the street on Buffalo Ave. Um, oh, the Weeksville uh, Center, Heritage Center, is one of the stops that were on, was on the Underground Railroad. And so... Um, it was recently designed by a firm that I actually know the firm owners. And when I say that space is so beautiful, I use it as a precedence for um, my, my students to study all the time to talk about light and shadow and cultural and community design. Please, I beg of you, 
just go see Weeksville Center. It's Weeksville such Center. a beautiful project. It's, you know, it, it taps into the scale of the community. It didn't come in and say, you know, I'm a new building and I'm going to be this big monstrosity like the Barclays Center where it just looks like it's attacking you. This Weeksville Center, it just feels peaceful. It feels welcoming. And so I appreciate designs like that. But then I also appreciate that a random, never-ending, I call it a folly, which is basically an object with no purpose, the stairs in Hudson Yards that, like, what's the purpose other than you just go upstairs, you yeah. know? I can appreciate that work, too, so. So, Samantha, how do you measure your success? A lot of times you have people that measure their success based on the person that's beside them, right? How do you measure your success? I really success? appreciate this um, question because I think this is something that I'm trying to share with my membership, which is me measuring success isn't always Every, what did you tick off of the list? For me, measuring success is about happiness. And so I can have achieved so many things, but if I'm not happy, then I'm not successful. And so um, during my presidency, my uh, theme is health and wealth. And when I talk about health, I'm specifically talking about mental health. Mm. And if you don't have your mental health in order, all these accolades that you have, are you're going to be ungrateful. And it's because I was at that point where, like, you know, people that I grew up with would be like, oh, my gosh, you graduated from Penn State. Yeah. You're an architect, this, that, and the other. But I'm like, I'm not happy. Yeah. Every time somebody comes to me with something, I'm complaining. Or everything I'm doing, I'm complaining. And so I realized I wasn't successful in my own right, like, because I wasn't happy. And so when I started, like, you know, kind of channeling my inner, like, what is it that makes me happy? Mm-hmm that's when I started feeling successful. That's, and it was when I decided to go off on my own because I needed to have the flexibility. Like I knew I was really good at management, but mm -hmm. I was a young professional, so I didn't have management skills. I gained it from all my volunteering experiences. And so being able to like manage my own projects and, and be that spokesperson with the client allowed me to have the flexibility where it's like I can practice these professional development skills, but I, then I could, you know, still be connected with my family and not be angry or have an attitude when talking to them. And so <laughs> yeah. now I see myself as successful because I can pick up the phone and talk to my mom or my sisters and not get in an argument. Mm -hmm. You know, back when I was in corporate, everything was a problem. I was so unhappy and it was affecting everyone around me and my relationships with them. And so it's like, how can I say I'm successful if I can't even like keep the close people next to me close, yeah, you know, and yeah. feeling loved. And so the way I measure my success is through my happiness. But that's good that you're able to identify that. You're able to self-assess yourself and then be able to take the steps going forward. There are tons of children out there walking around. I'm an educator, right? So I know that every student has talents that just need to be tapped into yeah right? and thinking about yourself as an architect and thinking about your journey what are some traits that parents should look at to just to see if their child may be a good fit into this field architecture is a mix between the arts and the sciences and so you there is this technical side you have to tap into but there's this artistic side you should tap into and when you're in school you're exploring both sides mm -hmm. and sometimes as a young professional you're still exploring both sides but well, by the time you're well into your profession you know if you're going to take that technical approach or that design approach mm -hmm. and so when we take it all the way back to like you know, them being in middle school or high school, things you can pay attention to is, how does my child think? Do they think in a creative way? Are there mm -hmm. many different um, solutions to a particular problem? Mm -hmm. um, you know, 
how intrigued are they by the arts? How, how good are they in math? And mm-hmm. you don't have to be all. Yeah, you could yeah. have one particular trait. Paying attention to their, their creative skills. But also, it's not even just also just paying attention to certain qualities that they have, but exposing them to mm-hmm. certain things. And the beauty of architecture is you can tap into whatever industry you want to. You can have a child that loves the sciences and loves biochemistry, but is still an architect that works on labs. Yeah. You can have a child that's exposed to the arts and is an architect that works on cultural centers. You know, And so that's the beauty of architecture. You can take other passions and say, I want to focus on that. And tying back to my thesis, I was really into airports. I was really into aviation. And so that's why my thesis project was an airport. And so I personally think everyone should be exposed to architecture. And then you decide whether you want to do architecture or not. But just knowing that architecture is a field that you could tap into all different other industries is, you know, amazing. And again, you kind of get to feel feed both passions of, yeah. you know, being that creative problem solver, but then being exposed to another industry you're into. So you say that community resource. Are you doing anything in your community now? I'm the president of the New York chapter for the National Organization of Minority Architects. We have something called Project Pipeline, mm-hmm. which is geared towards middle school students ages 9 through 14, okay. where they learn about architecture. And so we gather a group of architects and we'll go into different schools throughout the boroughs and literally put on a one-day summer camp or one day camp for these students where we first talk to them about architecture and say hey I'm an architect this is what I do these are some of the projects I work on then start teaching them a few architectural terms Mm. after that we take them on the streets of their neighborhood and we like go on a scavenger hunt so we say we Uh. talked about lintels earlier point out all the lintels in your community um, we talked about a cornice point out all the cornices that we're walking past and so we're really really exposing them to something they were already exposed to but now we're you know putting a language behind it yeah and you're, you're elevating their level of consciousness as exactly well. yeah. and so they're never walk through the streets the same again because yeah. now they're pointing certain things out and so after that scavenger hunt we bring them back into the classrooms and we say okay now that you've learned architecture now you realize the architecture within your community we're going to present you with a design problem for example mm-hmm. there's this park in your area we want you to build a play place for students at the from the ages of X, Y, and Z. Okay. And so now they have a design they have to come up with. And so we first teach them how to draw their plans and elevations that they learned about earlier. And then they get the opportunity to build it using like their arts and craft material. They get to build these communities that they're dreaming of. And so then they present it. And so we break the students up into different groups. And so we usually have um, seven different groups of students. And they present their projects back to the architect. And we provide them with feedback and so by the end of the day they feel like they're their own architect in their own right of you know so it's it's amazing what do we need more in our community more entrepreneurs because i think it's very important to have a local a strong local community of resources and a strong economic development program within each community because then it doesn't allow people to feel like they have to leave their community to to seek development or to seek resources and so if every community can strengthen themselves Mm -hmm. through bringing in a diverse set of entrepreneurs Mm -hmm. each community could build you know itself thank you yes you are welcome where can people find you so um, you could find me on Instagram at, at studio397 or you could check out my website at www.studio397architecture.com.
If you did, or if you were to attend the HBCU, where would you have gone? Now you know, you know the people that listen to the show. They've gone to multiple HBCUs. I know, I know. Why would you do that to me? I already like. (laughs) You gotta name the right one. So the only reason why I would say Howard is that's because most of the architects that I know that come out of HBCUs come out of Howard. You went to Chocolate City. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) exactly, (laughs) exactly. To the mecca. Yeah. So Howard University. That would have been it. That would have been it. All right, say it one more time. Howard University. <laughs> you guys, you heard it. All right, thank you so much for this. This was a lot of fun. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed this. If you like the show, please leave a review and five stars and follow us on IG to get exclusives on our guests and upcoming guests. Now, if you have a suggestion for who we should interview next, email us or DM us. Thank you again for your support as we continue to change the narrative.